I'm Laura Phillips, and you're listening to a podcast by Hip Height, where we discuss new ideas around housing, sustainability, and climate action to explore ways to support the sustainable growth of our cities and regions. We respectfully acknowledge that Hypeglass is recorded on traditional Aboriginal lands, which have been sustained for thousands of years. We honour their ongoing connection to these lands and seek to respectfully acknowledge the traditional custodians. Victoria is expected to produce 40% more waste by 2046 than it did in 2017-2018. Strengthening our recycling system is critical. However, it is not the panacea to our waste challenge. How can we reduce and reuse materials we consume before they produce carbon emissions, end up in landfill or pollute our environment? Today I sit down with Kate Dundas, Director of Strategic Foresight and Research at Sustainability Victoria, and Kate Nicolazzo, General Manager of Sustainability at HIPV Hype, to discuss how Victoria can transition to a circular economy. Thanks, Laura. Kate, welcome um, welcome to the podcast. would like to start by just hearing a little bit from you about how you actually would describe this circular economy. How, does, how is it different to the way we've always treated waste and that system within, within our state? Okay, hello. Very happy to be here. Um, I might start off by describing what we do now. So we currently have a linear economy where we take stuff out of the ground, make it into stuff, which we use, and when we no longer need it, we throw it away. So we take, make, waste. That's called a linear economy. And I might just illustrate some of the impacts of that linear economy and then go on to talk about a circular economy. So if the Earth's history is squeezed into one year, modern humans have existed for 37 minutes and used up a third of Earth's natural resources in the last 0.2 seconds. Enough concrete has been produced to cover the entire surface of the Earth in a layer two millimetres thick, Enough plastic has been manufactured to cling film it as well. This year alone, we've extracted 40 billion tonnes of resources from the earth and we've wasted 580 million tonnes of food. Now, that's just this year. In industries such as fashion and plastic packaging, more than 80% of all materials in our products and services are destined for landfill or incinerators. So you can see that we can't continue to do that. The linear system of taking stuff out the ground, making stuff with it and chucking it away isn't working for businesses, for people or for the environment. And we can do things differently and better, which we are calling the circular economy. So from linear to circular, what does that mean? So the circular economy can mean different things to different people. Ellen MacArthur Foundation describes the circular economy being based on three principles. The first one is designing out waste and pollution, because we can think about waste as being a design error. If we think differently about how we design, we can have less waste and a better world. The second one is to keep products and materials in use for as long as possible. And the third really important one is to regenerate natural systems. So for Sustainability Victoria, our vision is to create a circular economy within Victoria that continually seeks to reduce the environmental impacts of production and consumption, but also to create opportunity for Victorians through new economic possibilities, new business opportunities, new jobs, different types of community connections. So a circular economy allows us to avoid waste with good design um, and effective recovery of materials that can be reused. So when you think about all that stuff that we're digging up and just chucking away, what we really want to be doing is uh, reusing, rethinking about how we interact with resources and using as little new stuff as we can. 
That's really great. I was walking the dog this morning and there's a hard rubbish collection going on in, in my neighbourhood and spent a bit of time talking to my kids about the idea that, you know, we should really start to think about the way we purchase, <laughs> then use and also dispose of our goods. I said there's some really great examples when you go through a hard rubbish collection of the things that people buy that are really cheap and they're only ever designed to last a really small amount of time. And there, there's some really great examples of volunteer groups that are starting to emerge, like hard rubbish rescue groups and those sorts of things that are refurbing old furniture or potentially for sale and that sort of thing so there's some opportunities that we're seeing for volunteer groups but can we dive a little bit more into some of the jobs and those commercial opportunities you see for Victorians in the circular economy? Yeah absolutely I might just talk a bit about our policy setting first and what we're trying to achieve with the circular economy in Victoria and then we can talk about all of the business opportunities. So we actually have a good policy setting in Victoria. So we've got a legislated um, zero net emissions by 2050 from the Climate Change uh, Act, which was 2017, and a 40% reduction from 2005 emissions levels by 2030. So we have this really good legislative and policy setting, which means businesses have got certainty to create and think about what how the circular economy could be offering a different type of economic opportunity. And then we've got Recycling Victoria policy. So that's a $500 million injection into Victoria's waste and recycling system. So the idea is to create a circular economy, reduce waste and pollution, and think about how we recycle better, because you'll have seen across the media in the last couple of years, we've got a bit of a recycling crisis and bans coming online very soon. Um, so the idea behind all of this is to reimagine how we think about waste in Victoria and to deliver a circular economy. So I'll talk about a few of the interventions and how we're thinking about creating jobs. So one of them is to reimagine our recycling infrastructure. So when materials are reprocessed to make sure there's enough capacity in Victoria to do the reprocessing of materials, so plastics, paper, tyres, card. So making sure that there's jobs to reprocess materials into new recycled product, which can then get turned into new things. We're thinking about how we use data and intelligence better to track some of these interactions across the system. So if we can understand where materials are flowing, then we can think about, okay, we know that there's an opportunity there in the system for a new type of innovation. We might be able to turn all of that recycled glass into something in the built environment or road base or glass products that we didn't know we needed before. And of course, we've got the new four bin recycling system across the state. So everybody will have access to a food and organics bin, which some councils do at the moment and some don't. And there'll be a separate waste bin. Specific programmes that we're looking at for Sustainability Victoria and the business community. One of them is called the Circular Economy Business Innovation Centre. So that's an online platform where we're trying to provide support to businesses, charities, industry groups research institutions to identify, develop and implement circular economy business opportunities. So if you've got an idea about your business and how it might be done, you're thinking about how you might manage waste differently, then you can call CBIC and talk to one of our experts and they will help um, guide you or introduce you to somebody else direct you to some of the grants that we might have open in sustainability. At the moment, we're looking at organics. 
So there's lots of really interesting innovations happening in the organic sector. So thinking about how we use some of our waste product, you'll have seen maybe great wrap. Um, so they turn potato waste into cling. And there's lots of really cool stuff going on in the waste food sector. So thinking about you know how you turn that waste into valuable product. And great wrap's a good example of that. Lovely Australian. So they have a solar powered factory in Tayab very cool. And then we have our recovered resources market bulletin. So that provides intelligence and data to the business community. So you can look at the market bulletin, see where opportunities might exist um, for a number of different material streams. So we're trying to grow the recovery of resources with cardboard, glass, metals, paper and plastics and increase opportunity for infrastructure investment. So there's lots of potential for taking these materials and doing interesting things with them. And another thing we do in SV is give out grants. So we have money to develop the sector. There's a couple of different streams. One of them is developing innovative new products. So identifying new uses for recycled materials, making it easier for these products to be be used. So thinking about the end market for recycled products. How do we make sure once we've um, reprocessed glass or plastics that there's a demand for those things to be used in the market? good opportunity for the built environment again. We're looking at how we increase local recovery, reprocessing and manufacture of materials from across the economy, build local industries and create jobs. That's called the Industry Infrastructure Development Package. So that's, you know, regional and metro. How do we make sure that there's the the industry there to reprocess these materials? And really interesting, lovely one is support councils and communities to identify and pursue local opportunities for improving material use and management and circular economy. So that's the Recycling Victoria Communities Fund. So that could be all sorts of things from repair cafes to community gardens to um, textile projects to there's, there's lots of interesting grassroots stuff happening out in Victoria and we are trying to you know help it along a little bit with some grants. It's amazing to to hear and to sort of start to see the opportunities that are, that are emerging. I guess maybe just digging a little bit more as into what we can do as consumers. I guess in terms of supporting the circular economy. I obviously purchased my great wrap the other day, but you know, and as a business, Hip V Hype, we're always looking for those opportunities to support businesses that are that are sort of starting to operate in this space. So there's some other tips that you could give listeners. Absolutely. As a consumer, you know, the power of your dollar is really important. So thinking about how you choose to spend your money, um, buy less stuff in the first place. You can think about, you know, if stuff's breaking, how do you fix it yourself? There's a couple of um, organisations popping up around Victoria where people are teaching you how to fix stuff and of course you've got YouTube I actually renovated my whole house on YouTube myself with some friends so it's amazing what you can do yourself and it's empowering so you can demand better you can think about the choices that you make and be a more conscious consumer which is very easy to say and very hard to do you know when convenience dictates going to supermarkets and buying lots of plastic wrapped things because supermarkets are open late and you've got a family to feed and that's the easy choice. There's a really good book called The Frugal Hedonist, so by Adam Grubb and Annie Razor Rowland. Some good ideas about how to have fun um, without having a big impact on our planet. Continue to recycle where you can, of course, but before you get to recycling, thinking about how you can reuse and how you can use less and buy less in the first place. You know, simple things that I often forget to do, take your water bottle out with you so you don't have to buy plastic bottles, um, take your coffee cup out with you, 
buy in bulk, buy stuff in larger volumes if you can. And, you know, there's lots of opportunities to join up with your neighbours and think about how you can collectively purchase stuff. You know, that's at a household level. And when you think about a neighbourhood level, there's lots of really exciting things emerging around neighbourhood power um, and other things you can do at that slightly bigger scale. Businesses. So businesses have big purchasing power. So you can think about procurement. So not only what you're doing as a business, but what your suppliers are doing, which gets into scope one, two and three emissions. So you can think about how you're interacting with the whole system and everything that you potentially can make a different decision about. The circular economy promotes more efficient business models that encourage efficient product use. So if you're thinking about purchasing something, can you purchase it with another business and share it? Can you think about a product as a service rather than owning a product? And often these services include things like maintenance, repair, disposal. So, you know, there's lots of opportunities to think slightly differently. Are we seeing some of those models sort of emerge? Because I know that they often exist in European markets and, and other areas. Are they, are they the sorts of things that you think we'll start to see emerge in the Victorian market? That idea around washing machines is a really great example. So rather than purchasing the washing machine and then, you know, having it for the lifespan, however long that might be, and then, you know, getting rid of it, etc. But that idea around using a washing machine as a service so that it continues to function and there's an incentive for the business to to maintain it and to build it to last. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And the Productivity Commission at the moment has a draft report out. So any listeners interested in the right to repair, um, get your submissions into that um, Productivity Commission review of making sure we can actually fix our products. But there's so many good examples around what's going on in Europe. And actually, there's lots of examples in Victoria as well, where some medium density developments are offering um, the residents the opportunity to share stuff rather than own it. And that is awesome and should be encouraged. So that idea about building the sharing economy is is a critical part, I guess, of the circular economy. Absolutely. Yeah, thinking about how we don't have to own stuff, but we can share it. We can share cars, we can um, buy things that have maintenance contracts written into them. And if that's happening, as you say, the people who create these products in the first place will make sure that they're able to be repaired because if they, as product stewardship, if they're able to own them for the long term, then it makes sense that they're able to be fixed because it's their responsibility for the end of life and to make sure that they're fixable. But there's lots of really cool examples, even with textiles in Europe. You know, you can purchase, say, I think there's a company called Circular Workwear, or it was a Dutch one, Dutch Awareness. They, you purchase workwear, and then the company, you never own it. The um, original company retains the ownership. You send it back when it needs fixed. They reuse that same material, create workwear again. So it's constantly cycling around. It's never wasted. You never own something. You're just using it. And there's lots of examples like that in fashion popping up in Victoria as well, where you're renting stuff or you're swapping stuff rather than buying. I think I read something the other day where there's 80% of fast fashion is actually virgin plastics. I tend to every Christmas kind of reframe. I know there was a George Monbiot article several years ago now just talking about the sheer volume. I think it's something it's something like 95% of everything that gets bought for Christmas presents is thrown away in the first six months. And every year, as my kids are sort of writing down Christmas lists and those sorts of things, I spend a bit of time just having that conversation with them and getting them to reflect on, on how many households there are and how many presents and, and all those sorts of things. So it, it can waste is one of those really amazing examples 
where those those small things that we can do at an individual household consumer level, then potentially at a neighbourhood and community level plus business to actually have quite a significant impact. We're even starting to see things like a Coles and Woolworths supermarket starting to trial, bring your own container refilling sort of solutions to reduce on plastic waste and, and yeah. which has all been consumer driven. It, it has been and there's certainly a shift in the market and with the plastic bans coming online, so there's the ban of export of materials over the next couple of years phased, you know, there's going to have to be a fairly dramatic shift in how we use single use products. Um, so it's going to become more and more normal. And we've got so much power as individuals to demand a change as well. So is there a role for Sustainability Victoria around the, the education? Because that, that is going to be quite a dramatic shift for the vast majority of community who aren't sort of thinking in this space necessarily at the moment. What's the role that the state government or potentially local government or, or other businesses can take to sort of to help consumers on that journey? Yes, make it easy. So Sustainability Victoria works in three main areas, industry and innovation, behaviour change and education and community action. So the behaviour change and education part of our business is really working with the community to support these changes. So we run education campaigns, we run a programme called Resource Smart Schools with Skills Across Victoria to teach kids about um, the circular economy, energy, um, composting, all sorts of things in schools. Um, and then the education campaigns are in things like, we've just done one on bread. You know, bread is one of the major problems when it comes to organic food waste. We throw a lot of bread out. So we've done a campaign around, you know, how do we actually keep bread for longer? Can we freeze it? How, recipes for bread, you know, really simple stuff. But the impacts are quite staggering when you look at the emissions that come from just throwing bread into landfill. Wow, I didn't know. It was actually one of my, a lot of people sort of explored a whole heap of creative outlets during COVID and lockdown and, and sort of took up knitting and those sorts of things. I, I decided my creative outlet was actually cooking with food waste. So I, I literally got to the point during those sort of several months in Melbourne of not throwing anything away. So I was, you know, making stock whenever I could, actually making breadcrumbs and freezing them and those sorts things because my kids never eat the ends of the bread (laughs) the loaf of bread ever i know my kids apples is they just take one bite of an apple and strew them all over the house you know so we actually have a report online on sustainability victoria's website called path to half which um identifies the major wasted food groups one of them is apples another is bread But if there's any businesses listening, thinking about, oh, I like the idea of that great wrap, you know, making potatoes into cling film, then there's opportunities spelled out in that path to half report around, you know, how do we think about what we might do with bread waste or apple waste, milk waste? How can we think about having longer shelf life, for example? So there's heaps of innovations to think about when it comes to food waste. So you talked about the policy setting around Victoria's goals around net zero by 2050 is a really critical part of that and, and waste plays a really big part. I, I guess just from your perspective, how, how big a part is, is solving this waste crisis and moving towards a circular economy going to play in us meeting those carbon reduction targets? A big one. <laughs> so we had widespread disruption to the global recycling markets over the last couple of years. And now the Australian government, Victorian government's really putting a lot of effort into thinking, how do we fix this? In 2019, a decision was made by the Council of Australian Governments, COAG, that's to establish a timeline to ban the export of waste. So I've mentioned that a couple of times. So we're going to ban the export of waste plastic, paper, glass and tyres. 
Um, Australians create around 67 million tonnes of waste each year. And so the purpose of that ban is to, not to stop all waste-derived materials from being exported, but to stop the export of untreated and unprocessed wastes, which might have a negative human impact. And we're not quite sure where they're ending up. So it's a really big and complicated problem. There's not an easy way to fix it. And that's why we've got $500 million to sort out what we're going to do across the system. So how do we recycle better? How do we do materials? How do we think about materials better? How do we create opportunities in the end market? How do we think about creating new jobs? So the transition to the circular economy does offer a significant opportunity to reduce emissions by reconsidering how we manage materials. And a 2012 study found that over 60% of Australia's emissions were due to material-related emissions. So it's more than just waste. It's, all, it's about the um, transport of goods the food production and storage, the production of goods and fuel. So 60% is really a massive impact on our emissions. And if we're able to think about how we can harness the opportunity from the circular economy to reduce emissions, to think about how we do neighbourhood scale stuff better, to think about new jobs, um, the future of the Victorian economy, there's just so much potential. So a study assessed the potential of emissions reduction for the EU, and it was around about 56% by 2050. So that was a combination of materials recirculation, materials efficiency, and circular business models. So the whole system is much more than about waste. It's about the decisions we make as individuals, the way businesses operate, and the whole logistic supply chain of the economy, really. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about the sharing economy and, and that sort of part, that part of being part of the circular economy. I think the other thing that's really interesting in this model and this shift in thinking is, again, during the, the COVID um, pandemic, we've, we've experienced the desire for a bit of a relocalisation of our economies as well. So moving back towards that idea around keeping whatever we can within our local economies, supporting the small businesses and, and doing that sharing piece, which not only builds economic resilience, but also builds a sort of social resilience that, that we're going to need as we face some of the challenges of climate change coming, coming down the line. I think everybody realises that more and more when we've had the pandemic and we've had to rely so much on our neighbours. I went out and flyered my street. It's like, I'm really scared about being lonely. I'd been doing all this research into loneliness and thinking about the physical impacts of loneliness and, you know, having my family really far away. It was like, I need to, you know, I need to build these connections. So we now have this wonderful group of 60 neighbours and we, we're living the circular economy. You know, we share stuff, we swap stuff, we help each other fix things. I just fixed my neighbour's plug the other day. So that kind of thriving local economy is really exciting and of course impacts on our polycentric Melbourne because we've been so used to having such a thriving central economy and people commuting out from the suburbs into jobs in the, in the central city and I think you know the city is such an important economic driver for Victoria but I think we probably will see a shift of local communities becoming more and more important local businesses serving their local communities. And when we look at the opportunities for the circular economy at a neighbourhood scale, it's really exciting. So thinking about how we do power on a neighbourhood scale, community batteries, community power hubs, the sharing, the sharing economy at a local scale. And some of the jobs that will be created from the circular economy are very high intensity and localised. So 
if we think about the built form for a minute or think about the building stock in Victoria, to reach our target of zero net emissions by 2050, two major things that we can do from a circular economy perspective is retrofit our underperforming housing stock and think about materials in a different way when it comes to buildings. So the retrofitting is local and intensive work. I think we've got around about a million really underperforming homes in Victoria. So if we think about how we do insulation better or, you know, curtains, reverse cycle heating, the little things that make a massive difference to the quality of people's lives and homes, those types of jobs are really intensive and local. And I did some calculations this morning to think about, okay, if we've got a million homes and say we have a target date of 2030 to retrofit them, that's 300 homes a day until 2030. You know, and it's hard work retrofitting homes. That's some busy work. We talk, we talk about this a bit, a few, few people internally having done things like underfloor insulation in their own homes and those sorts of things. Getting into those crawl spaces can be, can be very, very challenging. Very challenging, but also very satisfying work because you're changing people's lives. And I think there's some, again, calculations from Europe because Ellen MacArthur Foundation does a lot of this, these great research projects that... Um, it would create a million, retrofitting a million homes would create around a million jobs. That's incredible. And they're skilled jobs and they will make a big difference to people. We have a really cool research project at the moment in Sustainability Victoria called Healthy Homes, which is retrofitting a thousand homes across Victoria. And we're looking at the health impacts before and after the renovations. So I'm really excited to see what how much change can happen when you're investing a couple of thousand dollars into things like insulation, reverse cycle heating, gap filling, and you know, really smartening up people's homes. Absolutely. So there's the, I mean, the health benefits are huge, as you've said, made huge, may make, makes huge difference to people's lives and, and their health. And then the economic benefits, though, as well, even through things like avoided hospital admissions. So if you've got people with chronic health conditions who are potentially going to hospital during periods of extreme heat or extreme cold as well, avoiding those hospital admissions, the, the sort of broader economic benefits are, are huge as well. We're actually seeing some really exciting examples of um, some really small scale versions of that. So in, in the Bass Coast region, there's a Bass Coast Climate Change Action Group who are actually using that Healthy Homes program model to actually develop their own program to draw on the Victorian government's rebates and, and incentives that exist at the moment with a bit of support from the council to actually run a cosy homes project at, at a really local level. It's, it's brilliant to start to see that model emerge. Yeah, so that's part of my role at SV is to think about the research that can support policy change. So hopefully when this research comes out from Healthy Homes at the end of the year, there'll be a really strong case for high-performing homes, retrofitting our existing housing stock. But the new homes aren't so much of an issue because hopefully we'll have a new national construction code which will mandate better performing buildings, hopefully. But the retrofitting is difficult. It's when you've got rental properties or leased properties, trying to incentivise landlords to retrofit homes can be quite hard. So we need to think about Victoria, how we do that and do it en masse and quite quickly. 
Absolutely. And it's actually a really good question because you think about the rental, the opportunities at a, at a rental level and the, the potentially the, the taxation levers and those sorts of things might sit at a federal, in a federal context rather than a state. I guess picking up, because you, you sort of mentioned that a lot of this has been driven from the COAG perspective. Is, is there examples of what's happening in the other states that, that Victoria is sort of drawing on? Are there any particular best practice examples of this shift to the circular economy New South Wales have just released their new strategy a couple of days ago. I haven't read it. <laughs> so go out and read that. See what you think. Adelaide or South Australia is doing lots of really interesting work in the circular economy. So we try and learn as much as possible from what other states are doing. We've got the container deposit scheme, which exists across different states. It's coming to Victoria by 2023. So that's where you probably will have used it elsewhere in other states or in other countries. You can take your um, drinks holders back for some money. So I think that will hopefully have a decent impact on lots of things like litter, the ability for us to properly recycle these containers when they come back. So that's something that we're learning lessons from from other states, sharing data across other states. We work often with other states and with the federal government to think about you know, how can we learn from each other and try and do better towards a circular economy? I feel like I've told my kids this a few times, but when the container deposit scheme comes in, that's a whole other opportunity for small local jobs. <laughs> it absolutely is. There's the idea that is that it's run on a really local scale. Um, so there's opportunities for, you know, charities and community groups and schools and other things to have one of these systems and, yeah, benefit from it. Considering where, where we're at, I guess, in the moment in terms of waste management within Victoria, so we do a lot of work with our local councils and they are moving to this four-bin system and they're, they're, doing, they're all doing it quite differently depending on their, their local context. And it seems from, from our experience and sort of canvassing community opinion that it's, it's a bit divided at the moment, the, the shift towards a four-bin system. People sort of want just want their rubbish picked up and dealt with and they don't necessarily want to have to think about it. A lot. What would your advice be, particularly for local councils who are going through that process of, of educating their community about the move to a, to a four-bin system, the move to a circular economy, and, and I guess how important it is for us to start really dealing with our waste as a, as a genuinely serious problem? Look, I get it. It's, it's more difficult than chucking all of your waste into a single bin, and you need more space. So designing good built form to accommodate all of these different bins is more difficult. It is. But I think for councils to try and sell the why, we've declared many councils across Victoria have declared a climate emergency. Um, This can be the why of why are we doing this can be attached to the fact that we have a climate emergency. We need to think about waste differently. The circular economy offers lots of amazing potential for communities to become more resilient, to open up economic opportunity to create jobs to you know stop destroying our planet so I think for councils to focus on the why is going to be really important because it is a shift in behavior and it's not as easy as putting everything in a single bin but if we can talk to people about the need to to split the rubbish up and make it easier to reprocess and to create valuable products rather than waste that you then get shipped off abroad and pollutes our climate then hopefully people will get on board with it you know people when you survey people about what they want everybody wants to do the right thing so I think we just need to make it as as easy as possible and really to sell the why why are we doing this 
Thank you so much for joining us, Kate. It was a really uh, fantastic conversation and really looking forward to other opportunities that I've got as a consumer and uh, through running our business, I guess, of, of opportunities to support the circular economy. Any last parting words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience? Oh, thank you for having me. The, the choices that you make make a difference. If you're a business owner, they probably make a bigger difference. And renovate your house. Get some insulation in there. Pop some insulation in the ceiling. Ask your landlord to do it. <laughs> Absolutely. And talk to your neighbours. Oh, go and flyer your neighbours and make a lovely WhatsApp group. It's just joyful. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hypecast. If you're listening in on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and take a moment to leave a review.